Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 155 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all had a wonderful week. Hope you all are excited. We're recording this on Christmas Eve Eve. So, Merry Christmas, if you're listening to this on Christmas Sunday, or if you're listening to this early Christmas Eve, because there's a whole healthy heaping of games on Saturday uh, this week, or, you know, while we're here, happy Hanukkah, still ongoing, happy Kwanzaa, happy Boxing Day to our neighbors up north. Uh, We've got an action-packed episode, and we've got some big things to break down here, especially the tremendous, probably best Saturday in the history of the NFL last Saturday that wasn't a postseason Saturday. Uh, Maybe we'll top that this week. We'll find out. Let's get right into it with my standout seven. Number one, we usually go bigger story, but let's let's make it a little bit more. The biggest story, because we're going to go into a three-pack here for number one. We've got to break down all three of these Saturday games. Obviously, the first game, tremendous, legendary game. The third game, massive playoff implications. The second game, pretty big implications as well. We'll go chronologically. We'll get started with the Indianapolis Colts. Man, what a first half they had against the Minnesota Vikings, and realistically, I think in that half, you saw the team that I expected us to see when I picked them to, I believe, win this division, if memory serves, then, well, to say the wheels fell off would be an understatement. The The wheels didn't only fall off, the, the vehicle has plummeted through the earth. Like, oh my goodness. Four TDs, two pretty bad interceptions, if memory serves, for Kirk Cousins in this one, but four TDs, 460, 36-3, they outscore the Colts in the second half, then they win this one in overtime. This is the paradox that is a Kirk Cousins-led Minnesota Vikings squad, because for years now, if you look on paper and you go, well, Kirk is an above-average QB here. He should be able to take this squad and, you know, do their thing. They should be pretty darn good. And then, well, they have to play the games, and they somehow wind up behind Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. But not this season, though. Maybe we'll touch on Rodgers a little later. Theoretically and mathematically, they're still alive, but not for the division, of course. K.J. Osborne looked tremendous in this game. If this is the K.J. Osborne they are going to get moving forward... And just by moving forward, I mean for the remainder of this season. Now look, he's got 45 catches for 450, four touchdowns on the year. He had a buck 50 in this game. If he can be that good of a number two, because Adam Thielen's still talented, he's just aging out, so to speak. TJ Hawkinson is very talented. He's a midseason acquisition, trying to find spots for him. Dalvin Cook, one of the better backs in the league. Alexander Madison, one of the better backup backs in the league. This can be a very scary offense for teams in the NFC and AFC alike if they get far enough. Um, I mean, you don't want your defense to give up 30 and a half to the Indianapolis Colts who did not have Jonathan Taylor. You don't want that to happen. But at the end of the day, it's a tremendous comeback. The reason I say this is very indicative of who they are is in the first half, they were getting stomped out just like they did by the Dallas Cowboys. It was, I imagine, hard to watch for the fans that went out there. It was hard to watch, honestly, in real time. 
and I'm not a fan of either of these teams. I'm a fan of football. I was thinking, all right, well, we're going to have to wait a while to get to that Browns-Ravens game. And then when we get there, the Ravens are going to be running out of backup QB. Uh, this might be a rough one into the evening. And they storm all the way back. I think they were well over plus 1,000. If anyone was out there gambling on this one, I'm sure you made a little bit of coin off that. Um, tremendous comeback. Will we see the Vikings play like the first half or the second half when they play the New York football Giants tomorrow at 1 p.m.? I don't know. <laughs> if I knew, I'd be betting the farm, right? Because I'm sure the odds makers don't know whether to make heads or tails of this either. They've got a game left with Green Bay in Lambeau Field, which could theoretically be the game that eliminates Green Bay, which is something you want to do when you're the Minnesota Vikings or realistically any team in that NFC North. We'll see how they come out in that one. Um, tremendously impressive comeback. Very scary first half. If you're someone that's rooting for this team or thinking they may be a title contender, the fact that they can, you know, they can flip the switch is tremendously, you know, uplifting. But the fact that they had to flip the switch damn near through the wall because they had a 30-point deficit, again, is not exactly what you're looking for. Ravens-Browns. This was an alright game. I mean, it wasn't the most action-packed game in the world. Deshaun Watson still looks pretty darn rusty. Uh, Nick Chubb is still Nick Chubb. He's pretty good. Baltimore's offense really didn't get too, too much going. I mean, they ran for, what, I believe just about under 200 yards in this game, but they couldn't get it done when it mattered. If memory serves, and I'll check my notes from this game, um, yeah, there was some bad clock management towards the tail end of the first half, and then Justin Tucker misses a field goal, and then we get a Huntley interception fresh out of halftime, and then we get another field goal miss. This one was blocked. What's going on out there? I don't know. I mean, you're talking that's at least... Six points off the board in a game that ended by 10, uh, being a 10-point deficit, I should say. Cade York missed two kicks as well. We saw the weather start to play a little bit of a role. I don't believe the weather played any factor in the two Justin Tucker misses. That's just as fluky as they come. Um, when you're looking at Baltimore's remaining schedule, they've got Atlanta. Should be winnable. Should be. You know, but then again, Desmond Ritter was kind of matriculating the ball down the field at the tail end of that game against New Orleans, but Drake London with the big fumble, New Orleans comes out on top, and the NFC South is a clown fiesta, to say it in the PG way. Um, so Baltimore's got them tomorrow, or today if you're listening to this on Saturday. Um, then they've got the Pittsburgh Steelers on New Year's Day in Baltimore, and then they end the year against the Bengals, which could be for all the marbles. But as we sit right now, as we look at the NFL playoff picture, obviously from NFL.com, where else would you go? The Bengals are 10-4. and four, The Ravens are 9-5. and five. They're going to need a little bit of help in terms of... If we take a look back, did the Ravens beat the Bengals in their first matchup? They did. All right. Well, they'd have to win the second matchup then. Because I'm not sure how division record would break out here. Um, my point being, we're not even going to see Lamar Jackson this week. I don't know if we're going to get to that being a winner-take-all game. I think the Week 18 Sunday night game may wind up being Titans-Jaguars, if we're being frank. And we'll talk about both of those teams in just a bit. But not an encouraging performance from the Baltimore Ravens. If you're a Browns fan, you want to stick it to the Ravens. It wasn't a bad day. Continuing in the loaded number one of the standout seven, 
Bills-Dolphins. Bills-Dolphins was a heck of a game. It really was. And, you know, the past few weeks there was a little bit of rust, if you want to call it that, or just poor play, quite honestly, on the part of Tua Tungavailoa. You know, we're talking three for 15 and a half. Uh, Didn't play well the week prior. In this game, 17 of 30, not his best performance. 234, two touchdowns. Raheem, excuse me, Raheem Mostert, a buck 30 on the ground. Huge. Waddle was good. Tyreek Hill was pretty good. It just came down to the Bills had more firepower. And, you know, I'm not going to make it into one of those things. People are going to talk about, well, it was in the snow. I don't think Miami was necessarily bothered by it any more than Buffalo was. I just think at the end of the day, it was Allen versus Tua, and right now, Josh Allen is a better quarterback, right? We saw Allen go for 304 through the air, 77 on the ground. The Bills committed to the run a little bit, you know. I mean, you look at the stats at the end of the game, they ran the ball 29 times, 10 of those from Allen, some of those are scrambles, some of those are designed. Didn't get too, too much out of the running game. You look at the backs, Singletary and Cook, 18 carries for 76 yards, not the worst. If you're looking at Bills games, it's not the worst. They threw the ball 40 times, attempts that is. Um, Knox had a good game. Diggs was good. Gabe Davis chipping in. I think this was kind of a microcosm of what I said after the early season defeat that the Bills suffered at the hands of Miami, which is Buffalo is better, right? They are the better team. At the end of the day, I felt that then, and I feel that now, and... I think, realistically, I know they're not going to want to hear this if you're a Dolphin fan. I would be encouraged from the fact that you went up to Buffalo and you hung in there and you hung in there. And, you know, at the end of three quarters, you're looking at, what is it, 26-21 to lead? It's not bad. Look, it's a moral victory. It is what it is. I know people don't want to hear that. Fans don't want to hear that. Teams probably don't want to hear it in the locker room either. But, realistically, that's what it's got to be. You can't get bogged down in it because they're still in the wild card hunt. And right now, they went from a position where, oh, maybe we can try and steal the division to, oh, we got to win. We got a lot of teams hot on our tail. We're 8-6. and six. We're below via tiebreaker the L.A. Chargers. Will Baltimore be able to hold on? Maybe we can move up there. Got to remain composed as best they can after uh, a tough loss. And... It's not going to be the easiest end of the year, but it's not going to be the hardest. You look at the last few weeks, they had San Fran in Santa Clara, they had the Chargers in L.A., and Buffalo in Buffalo. Right? The schedule makers did not do them any favors. However, they play on Christmas Day, one extra day, right? And considering an extra day because they played on Saturday as well, they play at home against the Packers, who, who knows? Aaron Rodgers seems to think they can make a run. I wouldn't count them out, but... I wouldn't exactly put money on it. Um, Not money that I wasn't afraid of losing, that is. Then, New Year's Day, they go to Foxborough to take on the New England Patriots. Who knows how that team's going to look at that point after their loss to the Raiders, which we'll get into in a bit. Um, And they end against the Jets, who are completely collapsing. So, it could be not uh, not the hardest end of the season. Granted, it was a heck of a game. They walk away. With the loss. The bigger story of all those three, um, I don't know. I think the Vikings' comeback is historically the the biggest one, right? Captain Obvious, I know. Biggest story in NFL history is the biggest comeback in NFL history. But 
that being said, I like I said, we didn't really learn too much from that game. We didn't necessarily learn too much from the Baltimore game. I think we knew going into this Dolphins-Bills game that the Dolphins can put up a fight against the Buffalo Bills, and they were ready and willing to do that, and they did it in Miami, and they did it in Buffalo. And they're 1-1 one one with each team winning at home. So, And Miami was in the catbird seat in both games, and Buffalo had a chance to take the lead at the end of the game in both games. So if they were to face off a third time, which would be honestly good television and good football, it may very well come down to the last possession. I don't think that's a a news-making prediction, so to speak. Biggest story, let's go with Minnesota. Though, honestly, it was an entertaining day, but I don't know if we learned too, too much. Number two in the standout seven, let's talk Lions playoff push or Jaguars playoff push. Both teams taking down the New York Jets this week. Um... Or this past week, I should say. Jared Goff dropping 250 in a touchdown, including a 50-yard game-winning touchdown on a 4th and 1 on a drag route, a simple little 1- or 2-yard route that the Jets defender, I think it was a linebacker, linebacker or a safety, just completely just didn't cover. And he goes 50 yards, and then the Jets find a way to convert a 4th and, what was it, 17, 18, 19 The receiver doesn't go down right away, tries to get out of bounds, even though they have two timeouts, because Robert Sala, or Roberto Salad, as I like to call him, affectionately, uh, mismanaged the clock tremendously at this end-of-game sequence, and they had two timeouts, even though they were going into this play with, like, what, 10, 15 seconds left? Not a lot. It it didn't make any sense, and then, obviously, can you you really blame Greg Zerline when he misses a 55-plus-yard kick? I mean, nobody's going to be able to make that guaranteed, including Justin Tucker, who missed twice this week, as we said. I mean, it's a rough loss for the Jets. It's a huge win for the Detroit Lions. Massive. Massive. Somehow they were dogs in this game. I don't know how. They've got Carolina tomorrow. They've got all the momentum in the world. They've got Chicago the week after. They end at Lambeau. Could be fighting for their playoff lives. That could be a huge game. Could be possible Green Bay is also fighting for their playoff lives. I have no idea how this is going to go down, but I'm excited for it. Now, the reason I paired these together is going to be obvious in a sec here. By the way, the bigger story's got to be the Jacksonville Jaguars. Because the Lions beating the Jets is a battle between two teams that are overachieving, right? Okay, cool. I got that one right, by the way. We're having a decent season. Not the best season. We stumbled a few weeks, but we'll get the end-of-year numbers when we get there. Um, The reason I bring this up, it's got to be the Jaguars, because one, they're in position to potentially win their division, and also, they beat the Dallas Cowboys in overtime, and Trevor Lawrence has slowly blossomed. We talked about this last week, I think. Take a look back through the notes. Yeah, we, we touched on the Jaguars last week, and... Here we are again, Trevor Lawrence, I'll just keep saying it, he's becoming that guy that we thought he would become. Is he the best quarterback in the NFL? No, I wouldn't say that. I don't think anyone would say that. Though I think at one point in the broadcast for Thursday Night Football, they said that he's trying to become a top five QB. I I, I don't think anyone would say that. Maybe in the last handful of weeks, but even this season. I mean, you've got Allen, you've got Mahomes by default, right? By default, they will have to be in the top five. Then you've got Joe Burrow. Default has to be at least in the top five, I would imagine. Would you go Tua? Would you go Jalen Hurts? Right? Where would you go with that? 
I think Hertz would certainly have to be in there for this season. Um, if we're going last six weeks, are you crazy enough to put a guy like Jared Goff in there? Right? Are you that high on Goff? No, but that's not what we're here to discuss. The Jacksonville Jaguars with a massive win due to a walk-off pick six in overtime. Um, shout out to Evan Ingram while we're here. This was a play that got reviewed live, and I didn't know which way it would go, and it went in favor of the Jaguars. Evan Ingram catches a ball and scampers towards the sideline. I believe it was Ingram. Correct me if I'm wrong. Comment section where you're listening, or social media, all social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. So, it appeared to me like Evan Ingram lunged for the sideline. This is tail end of the two-minute drill, maybe 30 seconds-ish left in the fourth quarter. He lunges for the sideline, but a cowboy had got him down inbounds. Huge, right? Massive time-wasting situation. However, Ingram was able to keep his body elevated and not touch out of bounds until, or not touch down, I should say, until he was out of bounds. Massive. Game-changing. Allowed the Jaguars to save a timeout, matriculate the ball down the field, inevitably kick the game-tying field goal, and then win this one in overtime. And then... They go into the Meadowlands to take on the New York Jets in the rain. Trevor Lawrence does just enough, you know, 20-31-229, runs for 51 yards. Travis Etienne looked good. Um, the Jaguars' defense looked great, but they were facing Zach Wilson. What do you want me to say to that one? The reason this is in here, because I think it's obvious which one's the bigger story, is I wanted to present this question to you. Right now, let's operate under the assumption, in the next few weeks... Both of these teams find a way to make the postseason. Who is your vote for Coach of the Year going to? So I'm telling you right now as we sit, I have a crystal ball, right? My crystal ball says the playoff teams will be in the AFC, the Bills, the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Jaguars winning their division, the Baltimore Ravens, the Chargers, and the Dolphins, which is no changes from where we sit right now, save for the Jaguars. The NFC teams will be the Eagles, the Vikings, the Niners, the Cowboys. The Buccaneers winning their division, because who cares? The New York Giants and the Detroit Lions. Are you giving the edge to Dan Campbell, who is beloved by damn near everyone, it seems, at this point, no matter who you are a fan of, right? Present company included. I'm a big Dan Campbell guy. Or do you give it to Doug Peterson, knowing darn well if you looked at this going into the season, you said, well, Trevor Lawrence was supposed to be a top pick. He's still that guy, maybe, probably, somewhere in there. Doug Peterson, okay, well, I mean, this is a Super Bowl winning head coach. He's not some guy that's going at it for his first try, like Dan Campbell. He's not using Jared Goff, a castaway quarterback from the L.A. Rams. Oh, by the way, the Rams went on to win the Super Bowl in his absence. Would you give the edge to Doug Peterson, who, in my hypothetical, won the division, or Dan Campbell, who started 1-6 and six and found a way to make the postseason as a wild card? Because either way, Jacksonville can make it as a wild card or a division winner. Detroit cannot win their division. That is not mathematically possible. Right now, the Vikings have clinched the NFC North, obviously. I tend to think it's it's a hard question to answer, and that's why I've presented it to all of y'all. Because when I put it in that context, well, it's Doug Peterson, okay, former Super Bowl champion, 
top prospect quarterback. There's some talent on this team. It would be, eh, in terms of division strength, technically the weaker division, right? Because they're fighting for the division lead at 7-8. and eight. Meanwhile, the Vikings have everything locked up on that side already. The other side, excuse me. Um, I don't know. When you add in that factor of he's a first-time coach, head coach that is, he's never done this before, and he is beloved so wide and far, I tend to think people would lean towards Campbell. I think if you presented someone at the beginning of the year with a choice, would you sooner bet your money on Trevor Lawrence turning it around and the Jaguars having a decent year with Doug Peterson or Jared Goff having a pretty good year and the Detroit Lions being in playoff contention in week 16, potentially 17, 18, and even into the postseason, I think people would bet more on Peterson and on... Trevor Lawrence. And for that reason, I'm going to have to be honest. I'm giving it to uh, Dan Campbell. I'm giving it to Dan Campbell. If we take a look back a few weeks here, I believe I had my coach of the year as Sirianni. Let's see. Take a look back. Yeah. I had Sirianni as coach of the year by default because they were undefeated, they being the Eagles. And I had Kevin O'Connell in second, Pete Carroll, Robert Sala pushing up the back of that cluster, right? As we sit right now, and look, the Eagles are having a tremendous year, but I think it would have to be either Peterson or Dan Campbell. Right now, for me, it's Campbell. Number three in the standout seven, bigger story. The LA Chargers getting hot, making a playoff push, being the team that I thought they might be, or the Miami Dolphins getting not so hot in the biggest stretch of their season. Well, the L.A. Chargers getting hot. They've won two games in a row. They beat those Miami Dolphins, right, in L.A., the game we were talking about, where Tua goes 10 for 28. Oh, my goodness. On the other side, Herbert goes 39 of 51 for 367. Yikes. Not the head-to-head number comparison you want if you're a Dolphin fan. Then, the Chargers win it late with a tremendous rollout and pass from... Justin Herbert to Mike Williams up the sideline, and then the man with the name, Dicker the Kicker, hits the game winner. Uh, Granted, against a Titans team that had a compromised quarterback in Ryan Tannehill, uh, Derrick Henry still put up numbers, did the job, but realistically, he was compromised. He was injured in this game and potentially may not play the rest of the season, is what we're hearing, with not one but two ankle injuries, depending on which report you read. And in that game, Herbert threw two interceptions in a three-point game. That being said, they've won three out of four, right? They've also lost to San Francisco. They also lost to the Chiefs, you know what I mean? So I think the bigger story right now would have to be Miami hitting the cold spot because this is a team in the Miami Dolphins that was the sexy pick about halfway through the year. Oh, maybe they you know, they beat the Bills. Oh, they're better than Buffalo. Well, they took Buffalo down once, right? Just like at the beginning of the year it was the sexy pick to take Buffalo to win it all. Probably still is, if we're being completely honest. Um, though Cincinnati getting hot probably changes things in the AFC. The reason I'm saying the bigger story would be Miami stumbling is because these are probably the three biggest games they've played the entire season. 
you take a look through their schedule, right? They beat New England. Okay, cool. Uh, they beat Baltimore in a big comeback. That's their statement win. We've arrived. Okay, gotcha. Then they beat Buffalo. Okay, gotcha. Then we have the thing with the injuries, obviously, for Tua. They lose to Cincinnati. They wind up playing against Minnesota in a game where Tua's not there. Right? Are they better than Minnesota? I don't really know. Right? You move on, you move on. And now you've got Oh, they blew out the Cleveland Browns, and look at that. And then Tua threw for three touchdowns and 285. Wow, it's a good game. All right, I guess they're back on track. They beat Houston. Okay, cool. They go into Santa Clara, and they lay a dud. 18-33, two touchdowns for Tua, most of that late in that game. First half, they were not Miami. I mean, it's 17-10 at half, but I think they scored on, like, their first or second drive, if memory serves. They just weren't. They're not as good as San Francisco. At least they weren't on that day, right? They lose to the L.A. Chargers. All right. They lose to the Bills. They're playing Green Bay. Green Bay, a team that, according to their leader, Aaron Rodgers, is coming in with some momentum. They beat the Rams. They beat the Bears. They played close-ish with Philly. They played, well, it got closer late. They played close-ish with Tennessee. They played close with Detroit. Won in overtime against Mike McCarthy and the Dallas Cowboys. If the Packers are buying in, and Aaron Rodgers, I believe, even said it directly, maybe they caught Miami at the right time. That could be a tra- not a trap game for a playoff team, right? Still trying to get in. But it could be a trap game in that you look at the records and you think, oh, Miami should have this. Mm, maybe not. Maybe not, folks. Definitely the bigger story that the Miami Dolphins have hit a little bit of a skid. Number four in the standout seven, weird comment from Ron Rivera, and we're going to talk about the New York Giants-Commanders game here. After the game, or perhaps during this past week, rather, Ron Ron Rivera said he would, when asked if he would consider Carson Wentz if the team didn't get things going, he said, well, if the team doesn't get back on track. I don't really know what he's insinuating, because Rivera was not exactly interested earlier in the year in Carson Wentz's way of running the offense. It wasn't going great, and he didn't exactly seem ecstatic to have Carson Wentz as his starting quarterback. So now, after a game where, let's be frank, the Commanders look like they were every bit as good as the New York Giants, I don't think you can blame that loss on Taylor Heineke. If he had thrown the interception in the end zone... A few plays prior to the end of the game, which he tried to, but then uh, I believe it was McLeod on the Giants who, oh my goodness, watching him out, they hurt my eyes out there. I mean, you know, look, I'm, I'm on the sideline, I get it, the man in the arena and all the whole thing. Nick McLeod was everywhere but making plays in that game. And the ball was up in the air in the end zone, I believe it was him, and it just hits him in the hands and doinks to the ground. If that was the reason they lost, I would understand Rivera's statement, but that wasn't caught. The last play of this game, you got to understand, I say it every episode, my perspective as a born and bred New Yorker watching this game, Darnay Holmes is, is playing some old school defense, let's call it. Uh, Might have been an over-the-back foul in the NBA, the way he was defending that final pass. And then you have the weird thing with Terry McLaurin being off the line of scrimmage, which it looked like he was off, but then he said the ref said he was good. But my eyes, 
don't really lie, and my eyes show me he was off. I, I don't know, whatever. Um, it's weird to me that he would intimate that they don't want Heineke to be the guy to finish out this season. How about you look at your offensive coordinator and say, why is Brian Robinson only getting 12 carries when he's running for seven yards a pop? They were running all over this Giants defense when Brian Robinson was getting the ball. They were contacted after five yards, push him for another three. Contacted after seven yards, push him another five, right? I don't get it. Um, I think the thing that won this game for the Giants was Brian Dable having guts. I mean, he had the guts to go for it fourth and nine when it mattered, and they drew up the right play. Danny Dimes made the play. Nothing flashy with 160 yards, but no turnovers is the big one. He was a turnover machine in years past. Not this season, right? Kudos where they're due. Uh, And then later in the game, Heineke fumbling. They called him down by contact. Dayball threw the flag. He threw the challenge flag. I didn't know if they'd get it. They did. Um, I thought it was kind of bizarre. We talk a lot about the timing of some of the things these coaches have said this season. We talked about it with Frank Reich in regards to why he got dismissed, right? from his role as the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. And this one was weird to me. I don't know if this is a sort of a push-your-quarterback thing. Um, I don't know if that's the way Heineke is best motivated, per se. I think Taylor Heineke has played all right as the QB of the Commanders, and I don't really understand why Ron's saying that. They're playing San Francisco this week. Like You, you think Heineke's going to go out there and throw for 350 against San Francisco? Now, look, you can come back to this during the week and, you know, go in the the comments wherever you want or social media, whatever, and call me a clown if he throws for 350, by all means. But let's be realistic. They're playing San Francisco, who's one of the best teams in the NFC, if not the NFL, in Santa Clara, you know, California. They've got a game against the Browns. Pretty good defense. They've got a game against Dallas. Pretty good defense. Who knows what they'll be playing for in Week 18. It's weird to me that he would say that. It doesn't really make sense. Maybe there's a sense of urgency there that we don't know about, that if they don't make the postseason, he might have to hit the road. Just put it out there. Possibility. Uh, Number five in the standout seven, let's talk about Ryan Tannehill's injury a little bit more. Um, The inclination, from what I've seen, it might be official at this point, Ryan Tannehill very likely out for the season. With that being said, let's take a look at the remaining schedule here for the number one contender for that division, the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are coming in at 7-8, seven and eight, and the Tennessee Titans, who are coming in at 7-7. Seven and seven. Well, luckily for them, I, I guess, this is actually the one team that Malik Willis, their high-ish draft pick QB, has played against, the Houston Texans. That's who they have this week. He went 6-for-10 for 55 yards. He didn't do much. They won 17-10. to 10. Houston has been putting up a fight for a handful of weeks here. Let's say, for argument's sake, the Titans win. Then they go on short rest. Thursday night football. Week 17 against the Dallas Cowboys. They're not going to win that game. I would say that. Bearing in mind, maybe if Dallas goes, well, you know, if they lose to Philly and Gardner Minshew and they say, well you know, we don't really need this game. Uh, Maybe we'll pull the starters at halftime or something. No, which would be bizarre to me. It would be weird. It's a little early, but you never know. Or if Derrick Henry goes for about 275, or maybe Malik Willis shows that athleticism that we've seen spurts of here and there, and he finds a way. You know, I mean, 
We've said it before, backup QBs can make runs. I don't know. I wasn't super impressed with what I saw against the Texans, and I kind of had high expectations because they're not a very good team. Let's say they lose to Dallas, and they enter the Week 18 matchup against the Jaguars at 8-8. Eight and eight. So, the Jaguars face the Texans after the Titans do. Let's say Trevor Lawrence takes care of business. We're looking at a head-to-head matchup to determine the division, and I think it's really hard as we sit right now, to not jump on the bandwagon. And realistically, look at Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars, especially looking at the way they kind of gritted out the game against the Jets. Like It wasn't a hard win, but they got the job done in every facet they needed to. It wasn't a flashy win. It was in the rain. That Week 18 game would be in Jacksonville. Biggest home game they've had in a minute. I think right now I'd have to lean towards them. It's hard. And look, even with Tannehill out there, I might say the same thing, if I'm being frank with you. Because their receiving core isn't tremendous, right? You can make the argument right now that the better receiving core would be the Jaguars because of the way Evan Ingram has been playing, because of the way Zay Jones has been playing, and, you know, much-discussed Christian Kirk. Ed and Travis Etienne doing the job in the backfield. Change of pace with Jermichael Hasty and such. I don't know. It's a weird spot to be in for the Titans, and this is a team that traded their star receiver, let go of their general manager, and now they may lose the division on the last day of the season. By the way, this would be the second year in a row, just a weird quirk for you, I'm sure it's happened before, second year in a row, the AFC South is decided, decided by a Week 18 game in Jacksonville between Jacksonville and a divisional opponent. Jacksonville won the first one. Actually, that didn't decide the division last year, did it? No, it didn't. It just sent home Indy. That's right. My bad. All right, well, close enough. Second straight playoff, second straight game, Week 18 in Jacksonville with playoff implications. My apologies. Um, right now, I'd lean Jacksonville. Also, while we're here, figured I'd throw this in. Um, the Indianapolis Colts have moved on from Matt Ryan. He's on the bench. I've heard that he may be the third string QB, straight up inactive. They'll go with Nick Foles at quarterback uh, for whatever reason. Um, This is a team kind of without a direction now. And I was gung-ho a couple of weeks ago on, oh, you know, let's see if they can make a run with Jeff Saturday. And I think Jeff Saturday may still wind up with the team in some capacity. They've got the Chargers this week, the Giants the following, and the Texans to end the year. Um, Arguably, they should be competitive, I guess, in two of those games. Maybe. No Jonathan Taylor is a big one, but what are you going to do? What is the direction for this franchise? If Ryan's not it, which I guess based on this season he is not, where will they go at the quarterback position? I don't know. Will it be in the draft? Will it be a veteran? Will they be the team that's trying to, you know, well, Lamar Jackson's going to get franchise tagged. Are they going to wait it out, wait it out, wait it out? Right? The Colts stealing from the Ravens? One new Baltimore team from the old Baltimore team? I don't know. Where will they go at head coach? Will they go somebody with a more offensive lean, defensive lean? Is it the Jonathan Taylor show? Are they going to kind of lean into the way the Titans have been constructed and not really concern themselves with the passing game as much? I mean, they've got Michael Pittman, pretty darn good. Tight end production's been decent this year. I don't know, folks. I just bring it up because it's, it's weird to me. It's weird to see 
I guess maybe it's a stretch to say this, but one of the more marquee franchises of the last decade plus, 20 years, 30 years of the NFL with the Manning years into Andrew Luck. And now they have no real direction, right? This is a division that was winnable, evidently. One of the few things I did say at the beginning of the year, Tennessee's not going to be as good. All right, well, I hit the nail on the head with that one, but unfortunately the rest of the division wasn't too much better except for Jacksonville. Number six in the standout seven, there's rumors, rumors, that one Thomas Brady, Thomas Edward Brady, I believe, will not be retiring at the end of the year. That Thomas will reevaluate everything and see what happens. Um, my question to you, and I'll discuss some of my thoughts on this, is where would he go? Would Tom Brady go to Indianapolis? Would they want him? Take a look at Tom right now. Tom Brady clocking in at 623 pass attempts. That's got to lead the league. Yep. Leading the league in pass attempts. Leading the league in completions by a hair. 66% completion percentage. He's coming at 3,900 yards with three to go. 20 touchdowns to seven picks. Not the best Tom Brady game, but certainly far, excuse me, Tom Brady season, but certainly not the worst. What's going on in Tampa? And I think it's going to come down to that. When front offices look at the idea of an aging Tom Brady as their cue, and this is beyond aging. This is an aged Tom Brady at this point. Coming out of retirement that was very temporary and having a, you know, decent year. Maybe they'll win the division. Maybe they'll win it all and he'll retire again. I'm going to operate under the assumption that they will not be making a title run as of right now. Although I withhold the right to change my mind as we go through the playoffs, as I probably would intend to do if they win a playoff game. Um, Still super talented team. Would he want to stay in Tampa? I don't know. Was it true? Was there fire where the smoke was that said that he really was having disagreements with Bruce Arians, and that's why Arians is no longer the head coach. Does he regret that now that the team's not performing as well with a new head coach, new being the promoted defensive coordinator Todd Bowles? Did he prefer a promotion of Byron Leftwich? Does he not prefer Byron Leftwich? Is that why he didn't get the promotion? Uh, I'm not sure of any of those things. I'm posing hypotheticals for you. The Colts could be an interesting team. I don't know if there's enough talent on the outside to attract him there. I do think it'd be hilarious because Colt fans, fairly certain, hate Tom Brady from all the years with Peyton Manning. Um, The other rumor I've heard is, could we see Thomas go back to New England after the New England offense has been kind of lackluster here and there? And, you know, eh, I don't know if they'd do that. I don't know if Belichick would swallow his pride or Brady would swallow his pride and have a reunion. Could we see, considering Jimmy Garoppolo has gone down with an injury and may or may not return to San Francisco next year, is are they a possible suitor for a one-year deal while Trey Lance heals and gets back to normal? Are they going to be all in on Purdy? Is Purdy going to win it all for them? A lot of questions that I don't necessarily have the answers to. There will be suitors. Will we see, I don't know, Seattle commit to Geno Smith? Would they want a year of Tom? Not sure of that one. Not sure of that one in the slightest. The New York Giants, Daniel Jones' contract is up. Would he, for some reason, want to go to the team that beat him in the Super Bowl twice? It is just laundry, after all, as they say. Would the Giants be interested in that? 
would they be reclined to stick with Daniel Jones now that he's cut down on the turnovers through the season thus far, at least? Um, I don't know. Would teams be scared away by the Russell Wilson thing in Denver? Where they thought, oh, change scenery will help, and he has had probably his worst career as a quarterback. Possibility. How about Tennessee? Tannehill's hurt. Would Tom want to go there and just hand the ball off? And no, the same thing with the wide receiving core. How about New Orleans? I hear that Sean Payton might be coming back. Would you be interested in that? It There's a lot of possibilities, and kicking them around is, is fun, as usual. But realistically... I think the most obvious one would be retirement, but that's really up to Tom. If he wants to play, he can play. I mean, there's rumors swirling supposedly this week. I think it's straight from the uh, the horse's mouth that Rob Gronkowski said a few weeks ago he was bored and teams reached out to him. All right, well, if Gronk's coming back, where is he going? Is he going to play with Tommy Boy? That's the rumor. I doubt it as we push into the tail end of the year. Maybe... maybe Maybe Brady told him, you know what, sit this one out. We're not that great this year. We'll see as we go forward. Number seven in the standout seven. We got to talk about this Raiders New England thing, right? I was going to put it higher up. I I left it to the end. I wasn't going to do it at all. I was 50-50. Either we led with it or we'd put it towards the tail end just so I can talk about it. I just wanted to talk about it, and that's why it's in here. Um... I have never seen a New England Patriots game end that way. Granted, now you could say, well, Nick, you've never seen any game end that way. You'd be right. You'd be right. However, what I mean by that is, the New England Patriots had the lead in the fourth quarter of a ball game on the road against the team notoriously screwed by the refs, more than anyone, according to their fan base, and honestly, ownership group for quite some time, and, well... Also, quite honestly, my eyes every once in a while. But here they were, trailing at home in a season that is relatively lost, though they're still alive, facing an old arch rival with a head coach that used to work for the head coach of that arch rival. And they got a call. Back of the end zone, they got the call that Keelan Cole got his feet down. Sitting here watching NFL Red Zone, as I am inclined to do, I was struck by the fact that the prevailing opinion seemed to be that Keelan Cole had his foot on the line. The clearest camera angle I saw showed pretty much that he had his foot on the line. At the least, it would be disputed. Hence, not indisputable. Though they called it a touchdown so they could review it, if memory serves. Um... You'd think they'd lean towards the more the more indisputable of the two. You know, you could say, well, maybe he got his foot in. Yeah, maybe he did. Or maybe he straight up stepped on the line, which is what it looked like. And uh, the Raiders get the call, which you know what? They're, every team's entitled to get a call every once in a while. The Giants got a call against the Commanders, right? Every team gets them every once in a while. It's just the way it is. Law of averages, if you will. However, what I did not expect then was the New England Patriots to then hand it off to Ramondre Stevenson, who after the game took responsibility for the faux pas 
of breaking a good run and getting a little excited and lateraling it to his teammate, who, for some reason, his teammate being Jacoby Myers, by the way, uh, who took responsibility as well, for some reason, decided to pitch the ball back to Mac Jones, what is that, 20, 30 yards across the field? At least 15 yards behind him, I believe. Uh, He's the only one standing there. Now, here's my question, and I haven't seen this brought up. So, the concept of the lateral, I understand, right? Oh, you know, the band is on the field sort of thing. You're trying to make a play. I can respect that. That's what you're paid to do. You're paid to win games. And you're thinking, all right, well, if we can swing this across to the other side of the field, sure. And perhaps in the moment, Jacoby Myers would think, well, I mean, if I'm going to have to throw it to the other side of the field, the guy with the strongest arm to do that would be the quarterback. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're not wrong. However, how about the fact that Mac Jones is standing all by himself just just thinking the play's over? I'm not blaming Mac here, by the way, though he took responsibility after the game. Kudos to all three for taking responsibility for a massive faux pas, which was really one of the three's faux pas, and I'll let you choose which one, though I think we all know which one. Um, what did Jacoby Myers think Mac Jones was going to do? Now, if he had tried to lateral it laterally, so to speak, directly across from himself, right, and found himself in a situation where, oh, all right, well, I tried to throw it to, let's say, Jonu Smith or Nelson Aguilar or Kendrick Bourne. I don't recall necessarily who the skill position talent was on the field at the time, but let's say anyone wearing a number in the 80s, any of those players, he would say, all right, well, I mean, he's got the athleticism to get around the edge and maybe make something happen, and we could do a little shenanigans. Okay, cool. You throw the ball to the guy who might be the least athletic guy on the field. I think most teams right now, not all teams, most teams, I would say the quarterback is the least athletic guy on the field, right? That's that's kind of the thing. He's there to just throw the ball. And you'd say, well, what about offensive linemen? They're pretty strong, right? That's athleticism in my book. Well, what about the arm strength? Yeah, but you know, if we're doing an, if we're saying who's the best athlete, you're probably not picking Matt Ryan. You're probably not picking Kirk Cousins unless you're a real big fan of the drip, right? So why do I bring that up? What did you think he was going to do once he caught that ball? Let's say in a perfect world, Chandler Jones was distracted and running downfield to you. Mac Jones catches that ball. What do you think he's going to do? He's going to fall down. He's just going to fall down, and you're going to go to overtime. I think, I hope that's what he would do. What did you think would happen? Now, this is, I'm not going to go full motivational speaker on you guys, but you know, it's important to visualize your goals and think out a plan of attack when you have a goal or some, even if it's something as minor as, you know, well, I I got a meeting tomorrow, I want to bring this up, it's really important, I want to make sure this, this, and this, or I want to get my kudos for that, you know, in accounting, they don't really appreciate that we do this, this, and this. Okay, cool. So, in any of those situations, or maybe, you know, even the, the simple scenario that people always say, well, you, you know, thinking about how things could play out before you go to bed, or thinking about it in the shower. In any of those situations, did you did you think if you're an NFL wide receiver, I'm going to throw the ball to my quarterback, and he's going to find a way to matriculate the ball down the field with his feet? Is your quarterback Lamar Jackson? Uh, um, let's see, Marcus Mariota? No? Uh, 
Hmm, who else we got? Is he, is he even Patrick Mahomes? Jalen Hurts? What do we got? You know, Tyler Huntley? No. No, in fact, he's not. Um, actually, it's funny you bring it up. Uh, my quarterback is actually Mac Jones. What? What? Did you think was... I'm sorry, Patriot fan. I can't help it. You guys have had so much success for 20 years. You know, you're bound to run into stuff like this now and again. But this is an all-time faux pas. This is up there with the very uh, shenanigans-y play that we saw in Miami with Rob Gronkowski playing safety. It's funny to me, uh, and it should be, because you guys have had so much success, you really shouldn't necessarily care. I know you want to win every year. Look, I'm a Yankee fan. I, I get it. But, come on. It was awful. Probably one of the biggest bonehead plays in NFL history. That'll bring us to the end of my standout seven. Let's go news and notes before we get into the pick'em portion. We had a weird tweet from Marlon Humphrey of the Ravens postgame. I just wanted to put that out there. There was something relating to the fact that he's not really necessarily sure how good the Ravens are. Alrighty. Um, reportedly, Kyler Murray is going to be cleared to start the 2023 season, which was interesting to me because the ACL timeline, to my knowledge, used to be 9-12, to and I, I guess at this point it is no longer 9-12. to I guess right now it is closer to the, you know, 8-10 to range, considering it is December, and I'm not certain Kyler has had the surgery yet, but here we are. Um, also, Jonathan Taylor of the Colts, done for the season, placed on IR officially, but unnecessary. Uh, Jalen Hurts hurt his shoulder. We saw gambling lines move very quickly, which led me to wonder how good Vegas' sources are, because they broke the news with their gambling lines before anyone else broke the news legitimately. He won't go this week against Dallas. There was a rumor he may not go the rest of the year till the playoffs. I don't know about that one, but we'll find out. Um, additionally, Philly will be getting back their tight end, Dallas Goddard, off of IR. Kenny Pickett may be back this week for Pittsburgh. We'll talk injury reports when we get into the pick'em portion in a sec. Chase Young will finally play for the Washington football team. They've needed him. He's been rumored to be back for a handful of weeks here, and they'll finally get him back this upcoming week against San Francisco. Big one broke just today, by the way. Wide receivers coach Miles Austin, former Dallas Cowboy wide receiver, Monmouth College in New Jersey, by the way, um, coaching for the New York Jets has been suspended for violating the NFL's gambling policy, per Rich Cimini and Adam Schefter, he's appealing the suspension. The league will have no further comment until that appeal has been uh, resolved. Reportedly suspended at least one year. At, at least. Okay. Um, the jokes were flying fast and the furious on social media that he saw Zach Wilson at practice every day, and he's like, no, 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 we got to bet against these guys. He's betting the under. He's doing this, that, and the third, which is funny and all until he realized, like, you know, what are you doing? What are you really doing, man? Like, is that necessary? I don't know. I, I don't know his financial situation. I don't know how everything's going to shake out. But in a time where we've seen things closer to the UFC, which I believe his name is James Krause, who was a trainer, pushed out of the sport because of gambling accusations as well. Come on, guys. Is it worth your livelihood? Is it worth, realistically, your entire career, everything you've worked for, to... Make a handful of bucks here and there. I mean, look, if you need the money, maybe it is worth it. I don't know. I can't speak for you. But a little odd is all I'll say on that. That'll bring us to the end of my standout seven. And we'll get right in 
to my favorite part, your favorite part of the show, the pick'em portion of this week's episode. We'll get started right away with a Saturday 1 o'clock kick. Battle of the Birds, the Atlanta Falcons head into Baltimore to take on the Ravens. This one's going to be an interesting one. Technically, both teams running with backup QBs. The Falcons going to be without offensive lineman Chuma Idoga with a knee injury. Also, obviously, still no Mariota. Uh, Ravens going to be without Lamar Jackson, still battling that knee injury, as well as two big names on the defensive side of the ball. D-lineman Calais Campbell with a knee and corner Marcus Peters with a calf injury. Questionable with a throwing shoulder injury, Tyler Huntley for this one. If he doesn't go, we'll see the third string quarterback, who I think we saw for a little bit a couple of games ago. I'm actually going to take Atlanta in this game. Now, you might say, Nick, why are you taking Atlanta? Well, I kind of think they pieced a little bit together towards the tail end of that game against New Orleans. We saw the Drake London fumble, which was big. Moreover, I mean, I don't know. This Baltimore team did not look great in the slightest. They didn't look awful, but they didn't look like a playoff-caliber team against the Cleveland Browns. Do I think they're better than they played last week? Yeah, most certainly, honestly. But I don't know. If Huntley's not even going to be a confirmed go, it's going to be hard for me to take Baltimore in this one. I'm going to take Atlanta mostly also because their division is completely up in the air. And they've got a game left in Week 18 against Tampa Bay. And I would love for that game to be interesting, because at the beginning of the year, it looked like it was going to be anything but. Our next 1 o'clock kick, a battle of the big cats from birds to cats. How do you like that? Wow. Rhyming accidentally. Look at me go. Uh, the Detroit Lions head to Carolina to take on the Panthers. Um, Lions going to be without their fullback, Jason Cabinda, with an illness. Offensive lineman, Coyote Awasika, with an ankle. And safety, Deshaun Elliott, with a shoulder. Questionable, center Frank Ragnow with a foot. And linebacker, Derek Barnes, with a knee. Panthers injury report is listed as N.A. Injury reports, as per usual, brought to you by NFL.com. Week 16 injury report for the league. Um, I'm going to take Detroit in this one. They've got all the momentum. They're playing better than, well, they've, they've played in years and I think Dan Campbell will get him up for this one. And I think Carolina might be a little bit of a test. they got a pretty good defense, but I don't know if the offense will have enough to get over the golf show uh, for the Detroit Lions. Give me the Lions to win this one on the road and stay in contention. Next, the Seattle Seahawks head to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. Seahawks going to be without wide receiver Tyler Lockett, still recovering from that hand injury, as well as nose tackle Al Woods with an Achilles and safety Ryan Neal with a knee. Questionable, backup running back DJ Dallas with an ankle. Starting running back Kenneth Walker III with an ankle. Wide receiver Marquise Goodwin with a wrist and an ankle. And tight end Noah Fant with a knee injury. Chiefs going to be without tight end Jody Fortson with an elbow. Doubtful, D-lineman Kalen Saunders with an illness. And questionable, D-lineman Mike Dana. Safety Deion Bush, both with an illness as well. I'm presuming the illness would be the one that we've been dealing with for a handful of years here. But you never know. Maybe I'm in the not in the know on that one. But either way, I'm going to take Kansas City to win this one. They're still playing for that one seed. Seattle seems to be losing a little bit of steam. Um, still a decent squad. Still 7-7. Seven and seven, Still in contention. Lost last week to Brock Purdy. Or excuse me, yeah. Lost last week to Brock Purdy. Lost to Carolina before. Close game with the Rams. I mean, I think they're running out of it a little bit. Give me Kansas City to win this one at home. 
Next, the New Orleans Saints head to Cleveland to take on the Browns. Both teams, I mean, their records are kind of in playoff contention. The Browns, I believe, technically still alive, and New Orleans very alive, just one game out in the NFC South. Saints going to be without running back Dwayne Washington with an illness, wide receiver Jarvis Landry with an ankle, and Chris Olave, their rookie wideout with a hammy, as well as linebacker Pete Werner, also with a hamstring injury. Questionable, tight end Adam Troutman with an ankle, offensive lineman Andrews Pete with an illness, linebacker Marshawn Lattimore with an abdominal injury, as well as safeties Marcus May and P.J. Williams with a shoulder and knee, respectively. Browns can be without their defensive lineman Jadavian Clowney with a concussion, and questionable safety John Johnson, one of the best names in the league, with a thigh. Um, I'm going to take the Browns in this one. I think eventually this passing game is going to piece itself together. I think it might have to be next season, but this running game is darn good, and I think it should be good enough to take down the Saints. The Tennessee Titans play host to the Houston Texans in our next 1 o'clock kick. This is a huge one. As we mentioned before, Titans in contention. Houston won 12-1. They've had some close losses, but man, oh man. Not exactly a great season. Uh, Texans going to be without wide receiver, uh, excuse me, wide receiver Nico Collins with a foot, offensive lineman Kenyon Green with an ankle injury. Questionable. Two more wideouts, Chris Moore with a foot and Brandon Cooks with a calf, as well as offensive lineman Justin McCray with a hammy and DB Stephen Nelson with a foot slash knee injury. Laundry list of injuries for the Tennessee Titans in this one. Going to be without Ryan Tannehill with an ankle injury, as we discussed already, as well as offensive lineman Ben Jones with a concussion and Dylan Raduns with a knee and Nate Davis with an ankle. Uh, linebacker, going to miss this one, Dylan Cole with an ankle as well, and three DBs, Christian Fulton with a groin, Terrence Mitchell with a hammy, and Josh Thompson with a concussion. Questionable, Traylon Burks, their young wideout with a concussion as well. More offensive linemen in Aaron Brewer with a rib and Nick Petit-Free with an ankle, as well as more DBs, Trey Avery with a concussion and Amani Hooker with a knee. They are beat up with a capital B-E-A-T. Something's telling me with all the injuries and the fact that Malik Willis didn't exactly look great against this Lovey Smith defense last time, I'm actually going to take Houston. To play spoiler and make this a very, very interesting last couple of weeks in the AFC South, give me the Houston Texans to win on the road. Next, the Cincinnati Bengals, led by Joe Burrow, head to New England to take on, well, the Patriots off of one of their worst losses, maybe ever. Bengals going to be without tight end Hayden Hurst in this one with a calf injury and DN Sam Hubbard with a calf as well. Questionable, D-tackle Jay Tufeli with an illness, and two DBs, Jalen Davis with a thumb, and Cam Taylor-Britt with a shoulder injury. Patriots going to be without wide receiver Devontae Parker with a concussion, corner Jalen Mills with a groin injury, and long snapper Joe Cardona with an ankle. Could be a big one. Don't sleep on the long snapper injury. Questionable for them, both running backs, Damian Harris with a thigh and Ramondre Stevenson with an ankle. Wide receiver Jacoby Myers with a shoulder, hold your jokes that he heard it thrown it across the field. As well as wide receiver Tyquan Thornton with a knee. Two more DBs, Jonathan Jones with a chest injury and Jack Jones with a knee, are also listed as questionable. I'm going to take Cincinnati in this one. I think New England's had a weird roller coaster year, and it, I wouldn't put it past them to somehow find a way in a weird game like this. However, um, it'd be hard for me to see that coming, quite honestly. I think the easier pick, and therefore the pick I'm going to go with, would be Cincinnati 
to kind of push New England into the beginning of that sweet, sweet off season uh, that they're looking for after that Raiders loss. Next, the New York football giants in prime position to control their playoff hopes head to Minnesota to take on the Vikings. Giants going to be without offensive lineman Shane Lemieux with a toe, a toe injury, excuse me, and DB Adoree Jackson with a knee. Vikings going to be without their starting center Garrett Bradbury with a back injury. Questionable linebacker Eric Kendricks with a hip and corner Cam Dantzler with an ankle. As much as I think the Giants should theoretically get the push, the momentum from that win over the Commanders, they just haven't been the same team in the second half of the season. Technically speaking, Minnesota is still in the hunt for the one seed. I think they play this one like they played the second half of last game, not the first half, and the Vikings win this one at home. Next, a weirdly intriguing game for me in our final 1 o'clock kick, a battle of the bees as the Buffalo Bills head to Chicago to take on the Bears. Bills going to be without their center, Mitch Morse, and, excuse me, with a concussion, and D-lineman Boogie Basham with a calf. Questionable, two D-tackles, Ed Oliver with a calf, and Jordan Phillips with a shoulder. The Bears going to be without wide receiver, Equinemius St. Brown with a concussion, tight end Trevon Wesco with a calf, and DB Kendall Vilder with an ankle injury. Doubtful, their midseason acquisition, Clay, Chase Claypool with a knee injury, as well as two O-linemen, Cody Whitehair with a knee and Tevin Jenkins with a neck. Questionable, DB Jalen Johnson with a finger-slash-rib injury. I'm going to take the Bills in this game. The reason I think this game is interesting is purely because of Justin Fields. Watching Justin Fields play is the same thing that triggers in my brain when you see some of these crazy runs out of a Lamar Jackson or Robert Griffin, or even way back to Michael Vick. Justin Fields is dynamic on the football field. Can they get anything around him so he doesn't have to scramble like a madman just to lose by seven? I don't know. It won't happen in the next three weeks. Maybe in the next three months, maybe into the draft and things like that. But I'm very intrigued to watch Justin Fields take on a high level of competition because I know, quite honestly, he's going to have to do a heck of a lot just to make this one close. Next, we move into the 4 o'clock slate, our lone 405 kick. The Washington Commanders, led by Taylor Heineke, for now, take on the San Francisco 49ers from Santa Clara, California. Commanders going to be without their tackle, Sadiq Charles, with a concussion. Questionable 2DBs, safety Cameron Curl with an ankle, and corner Benjamin St. Juice with an ankle injury as well. Niners still without Jimmy Garoppolo, as we well know. Wide receiver Debo Samuel as well, and D-lineman Kevin Givens with a knee. Questionable backup running back Jordan Mason with a hammy. D-lineman Kerry Hyder with an ankle, and three corners, Ambry Thomas, Charvarius Ward, and Tarvarius Moore with a ankle concussion and knee injury, respectively. Can we shout out the fact that they have a Charvarius and a Tarvarius? And they go Ward and Moore, almost rhyming? That That is a high-quality name duo right there to John Lynch and the San Francisco 49ers. And shout out to those two gentlemen. Um, I say all that to say this. This is probably a 60-second pick for me. I think the Washington Commanders are a pretty good team. I think they're on the fringe of being a playoff caliber team. I think San Francisco is a really good team. And barring a massive step backward from what we've seen from Brock Purdy thus far, I think 
that the 49ers should be able to win this one at home. Now, the, the, the asterisk, I will say, is Chase Young's going to be out there, and he's missed a heck of a lot of time, and there was the rumors he'd come back after up three weeks ago, I believe. If he goes out there and wrecks the game, this thing could flip on its head. Not sure that's going to happen, though. Give me San Fran. Into the 425 window, still on Saturday, folks. The Philadelphia Eagles head to Dallas to take on the Dallas Cowboys. As we mentioned, Eagles going to be without their starting QB, Jalen Hurts, with a right shoulder injury, kind of a big one. Going to be without their tight end, Tyree Jackson, with a knee, and questionable wide receiver Zach Paschal with a concussion. Cowboys going to be without linebacker Leighton Vander Esch with a neck. Questionable, huge ones on the defensive side. Dorrance Armstrong with a knee. Outside linebacker, listed as outside, but he's outside, inside, everywhere. Weapon X for this defense, Micah Parsons with an illness, and Trayvon Diggs at corner also with an illness, as well as on the offensive side, Jake Ferguson, the tight end with a concussion. If the Dallas Cowboys are the team that beat up on those Vikings, they should win this game against Gardner Minshew. I think this Philadelphia Eagles team is elite with a capital E I think Gardner Minshew will do enough, and they'll be able to win this one on the road. And lock up, if my math is correct, the one seed in the NFC. Just perusing real quick to make sure my math is right. They would go to 14-1. The Vikings already have three losses, and if memory serves, this Vikings team did, in fact, lose to the Eagles, which would lock it up. Congrats to the Eagles, if I am, in fact, correct. Um... The Saturday night football game is the 50th anniversary game for the Immaculate Reception. Much discussed. Unfortunate, we will not have Franco Harris with us for this game. And my condolences and all of our condolences here at Last Word on Sports go to the Harris family and his friends and family. As we've seen the past few days, they've discussed how many lives he's touched in that area. Penn State alum and Pittsburgh Steeler icon, obviously. Um, Really unfortunate timing of, of everything, but... We must press on as we do. Uh, Raiders will be without corner Rocky Sin in this game with a knee injury. Questionable running back Zamir White with an ankle. Offensive lineman Jackson Barton and Alex Bars and Dylan Parham with a back, knee, and knee injury respectively. On the defensive side, two listed as questionable. D-lineman Andrew Billings with a fibula and linebacker Darian Butler with a quad injury. Steelers listing just two. Wide receiver Deontay Johnson, big one with a toe injury. And linebacker Miles Jack with a groin injury. Notably, not on the injury report, Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett in this one. So I'm operating under the assumption we will see Kenny in this one. The emotional lift of the ceremony involving, you know, the passing of Franco Harris and the fact that this is a big anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. I think on paper the Raiders may be a better team, but Pittsburgh's got six wins, and I don't know that they're necessarily a great team this year in the slightest. Give me Pittsburgh to find a way to win because it's a big game for them. Maybe their biggest of the year. On to Christmas Day after Santa has parked his sleigh on your roof and ho-ho-ho'd his way down the chimney. One o'clock kick, the Green Bay Packers head to Miami, away from the frozen tundra, to take on Tua Tungavailoa and the Miami Dolphins. Packers listing just one doubtful offensive lineman, David Bakhtiari, with a knee-slash-abdominal injury. Dolphins listing two is doubtful, wide receiver River Craycraft with a calf, and newly acquired lineman Eric Fisher with a calf as well. Questionable, offensive lineman Teron Armstead with a toe-slash-peck-slash-knee. He's a little beat up, but we're getting late in the year. 
Two running backs, Miles Gaskin with an injury and Jeff Wilson with a hip. Two linebackers, Bradley Chubb with a knee and Jalen Phillips with a toe, and safety Eric Rowe with a hamstring injury as well. Now, call me crazy, but I think Green Bay can win this game. And it's not completely that I'm jumping off of the Dolphins bandwagon. I think they're a darn good team. I think that right now, this is not a great matchup. And the reason I say that is, I think if Green Bay can dedicate itself to the run, they can make this a lower scoring game, less possessions, less problems dealing with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. This is not very far removed from Green Bay being a great defensive team here, folks. I'm going to take Miami, because they're at home, and I don't really think they're collapsing here. I think they've run into some rough opponents. Give me them to take down Green Bay, find their footing, and ready for the playoff push. Next, in the 430 slot, I'll take games that sounded better six months ago for 1,000, Alex. Um, The Denver Broncos take on the L.A. Rams from Los Angeles. Broncos going to be without wide receiver Kendall Hinton with a hamstring injury. Questionable running back Latavius Murray with a foot, who's been pretty good for them. Um, Wide receiver Cortland Sutton with a hammy. Offensive lineman Calvin Anderson with an ankle injury. Offensive lineman Dalton Reisner with a shoulder, back, and foot trio. Outside linebacker Randy Gregory with a knee. And free safety Kwan Williams with a wrist and a knee. The Rams are going to be without John Walford with a neck. Wide receiver Ben Squaronic with a calf. Center Brian Allen with a calf as well. Two D linemen in Marquise Copeland with an ankle and Aaron Donald with an ankle. And two linebackers in Jake Gervais and Traven Howard with an ankle and hip injury, respectively. Now, looking at this injury report, I'm noticing that Russell Wilson is not here. Um, I'm wondering, is Russell going to go in this game? Everything I'm reading in my quick perusal here is indicating he was a full participant at practice. I mean, this is a battle between four and ten teams, folks. You don't necessarily need to run your franchise guy out there to, to potentially get his his bell rung and get injured. I wish nothing on him. I wish nothing on anybody, if we're being frank. But, okay. I mean, I was going to take the Broncos either way. The Baker Mayfield thing is interesting. I'm a Baker guy. I think he'll bounce back, but I'm not certain in two weeks with backup wide receivers and backup linemen that this is necessarily where he's going to bounce back. Um, Give me Denver to win this one on the road. That brings us to our Sunday night Christmas special. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers head to Arizona to take on the Cardinals in another game. That sounded better six months ago, but then again, You can't play in the future, folks. Buccaneers are going to be without offensive lineman Donovan Smith in this one with a foot injury. D-lineman Vita Vea with a calf. Linebackers Carl Nassib and Gerard Avery with a pectoral and oblique, respectively. And corner Jamel Dean with a toe. Questionable, a laundry list of important players. Let's start with O-lineman Josh Wells with a back. Wide receiver Julio Jones with a knee. Offensive lineman, excuse me, another, Tristan Wirfs with an ankle. Safeties, Antoine Winfield Jr., Mike Edwards, and Keanu Neal. All also questionable with an ankle, hamstring, and toe, respectively. Cardinals not going to have their backup QB even for this one. And Colt McCoy with a concussion. D-lineman Zach Hands out with a hand. And corner Byron Murphy is out with a back injury. 
questionable wide receiver Marquise Hollywood Brown with a groin injury, O-lineman Max Garcia and Kelvin Beecham with a shoulder and knee respectively, and two DBs Antonio Hamilton with a back and Charles Washington with a chest injury. I'm taking Tampa. I don't think Arizona really has anything to play for in this game. I've heard that reportedly Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury are not even in touch, which leads me to believe that Cliff Kingsbury is likely on the way out if that's true and is the case. Um, if that's the case, what are they playing for? You know what I mean? And obviously the players are playing to further their career and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying they should throw a game or anything, but if you're starting quarterback, the star of the team is not in contact with your coach. I think that kind of reverberates a little and, uh, may show to a little bit of a lack of effort. Perhaps we'll keep an eye on it. Give me Tampa to win this one. They need to win this one on the road. Monday Night Football, the L.A. Chargers head to Indy to take on the Nick Foles-led Colts. No injury report for this one the day after Christmas. We'll take the Chargers. I mean, come on. It's Nick Foles. we We don't need to go into it. Give me the Chargers to win this one on the road. Um, and then finally, our final Thursday night football game of the year. The Dallas Cowboys head to Tennessee to take on the Tannehill-less Tennessee Titans. I'm going to take Dallas to win that one on the road and cap off this year's rendition of Thursday night football. Speaking of capping off, that will cap off this week's episode. Episode number 155 of the Necessary Roughness podcast presented by Last Word on Sports. Thank you for joining us. I hope everyone out there has a happy and a healthy and a safe holiday. If you choose to celebrate or not, whichever you choose, do your thing. Either way, I hope you choose to indulge and enjoy some football over this loaded Saturday and Sunday slate. And I hope you join us next weekend as we wrap up just about the NFL season. We'll get into week 17 and then looking forward into clinching scenarios in 17 and 18 and things like that, which game is going to get flexed into the Sunday night football spot for the final week, yada, yada, yada. You get the deal, folks. Join us again next weekend. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.